0: Right, welcome back to Obs and Guidelines. Today we're talking about CMV, so that's prevention of congenital cytomegalovirus infection in pregnancy. Uh, This guideline was released in March 2019 and is current to March 2022.
1: Fantastic. So the reason we are talking about CMV is because it's a really common virus. Um, We know that the risk of seroconversion. in um the general population is about two per three two to three percent per year. Um and that forty to sixty percent of women are already seropositive um prior to getting pregnant.
0: So like about one in a thousand pregnancies uh will be affected by a baby that's born with congenital CMV with uh sequelae, so where they are actually affected. So ninety percent of proven congenital uh CMV will go on to have a normal birth and a healthy child um, and normal development. But it's about 10 to 15% of those with congenital CMV that may go on to develop health problems later in childhood. And these can include neural problems, so hearing loss, disability, and sometimes cerebral palsy and learning problems and impaired school performance.
1: So CMV is a virus, I think it's from the herpes It's a
0: DNA herpes virus. That's
1: the one. And it's really common in young children. Um, They are most likely to shed high levels of virus in their saliva, urine, and nasal secretions for long periods of time. And most, well, maybe not anymore, but a lot of women have more than one child. So are likely to have a toddler, probably a nasty little CMV secreting toddler, in the house um, at the same time as being pregnant. So it's really relevant to um, our population. Yeah, so
0: recommendation one is that all pregnant women and women trying to conceive should be given information about CMV prevention. This should be part of your routine antenatal and pre-pregnancy care. So when you're talking about all of your other bits of advice, this one should always be thrown in, ideally with some written information. And I think this stems partly from some somewhat high-profile cases of parents affected uh, by this uh, who felt that they had never even heard of this risk in pregnancy. Um, and there are some practical things that can be done uh, to try to reduce the risk, though unfortunately there's not a lot we can do to, to treat and really prevent this.
1: Mm. And there are things that we're all quite good at now in this post-COVID world. So it's things like not sharing food, drinks, or utensils used by children under the age of three, Not putting dummies in your mouth. Avoid contact with saliva when kissing a child, if you can. Um, So kiss on the forehead, not the lips. And thoroughly wash your hands with soap and water after changing nappies or feeding a young child or wiping a snotty nose. Um, and also cleaning toys, countertops, and other surfaces that come into contact with uh, children's urine or saliva. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't <laughs> actually think about that one until I read it out loud. <laughs>
0: no, but I suppose that's a reality of being a parent with a young child. You're probably going to get a lot of your child's urine and other things in your mouth. It's Christ. just life. But it's, just a, it's much like you mentioned yeah, COVID and any other infections. You're never going to be 100%, but... It's about making these efforts, which will have a reduction in risk. Um, I'm not sure if this is evidence-based, but it at least seems sensible. It does, doesn't it? perhaps not. I guess I think I remember the controversy when this came out was that this guideline effectively says not to kiss your child. Um, And certainly that's not going to be compatible with everybody's parenting style. Um, But it probably still makes sense to try not to share too much uh, spit
1: yeah, well, we all grew up in the 90s, mm-hmm. we know about meningitis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 75% of congenital CMB is actually due to non-primary infection, and I guess this is one of the main issues with CMB. You don't get immunity just because you've had it before. Um, so even though the the risk of mother-to-child transmission of infection is much lower with a reactivation as opposed to a primary infection, there is still a small risk of facial infection, and if something is new to the fetus, then it's there's remains that risk of long-term sequelae.
0: Yeah. So if you're liking to learn these based on recommendation numbers, then this is what recommendation two is about. It's saying that primary infection is higher risk to uh, transmitting to the fetus than either reactivation or contracting CMV again. Um, but it, if the baby is, does contract it and gets congenital CMV, then it's new to them and carries the same risk.
1: Recommendation three, we've kind of already been through, and that's the specific recommended hygiene measures um, that we've talked about already.
0: So if you're sitting an oral exam and your, your uh, <laughs> standardized uh, patient says, my baby is affected by CMV, why wasn't I offered Routine screening, or a similar kind of case like that.
1: We say it was recommendation four. Yeah,
0: recommendation four. There you go. Universal routine serological screening for CMV in pregnancy is not recommended. So I suppose what would screening look like? It would look like, I guess, taking serology for IgG and IgM, uh, and then based on that, uh, potentially doing other investigations such as IgG and ultimately an amnio to look for infection. Because of the numbers involved or at least the likelihood of a baby uh you know having significant um, negative outcomes related to infection, the risks of screening uh, and interventions basically likely outweigh the benefits so a lot of people will be serologically positive in some way um And that goes down to a later recommendation talking about the actual diagnosis. But I think ultimately the the answer is that to really confirm if the congenital CMV has occurred at all, it requires an amniocentesis. Um, This has a false negative rate, as with any test. Um, And in the context of a positive result, you'd still expect that 90% of these babies will actually be um, unaffected. Um, So then, given that there's no intrauterine treatment at least that's standardized i know that i think antivirals um have been tried or like under investigation
1: and igg i think
0: as yeah. well okay so there's probably some treatments standard. but they're not standard and and would probably be in a research context the only really real thing you can do with that information is either take it on board um and perhaps prepare yourself for having a baby that's affected or undergo a termination um presumably with the information knowing that there's a 90% chance that this baby will at least not be affected by CMV. They're at actually higher risk of being affected by all the other concerns of the pregnancy. Else. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I guess, and I think what I've got from the ACID guideline as well is that if there's a primary infection, um, 10 to 15% of those babies will be symptomatic, so they will have signs in utero um, on ultrasound. And of those ones that are showing signs on ultrasound, still only 50% of those will actually have long-term consequences. So infection and even signs on ultrasound does not confer in the nicest possible way a damaged fetus. Yeah. Yeah. However, pre-pregnancy or early pregnancy screening with CMV, IgG can be considered for women who are at high risk of infection. This is recommendation five. Because early determination of CMV status can aid in distinguishing between primary infection and particularly primary infection in the first trimester, which has a higher risk of conferring fetal infection and long-term effects, versus reactivation and reinfection. But obviously, still does not remove the need to follow the recommended hygiene measures, um, as we've discussed earlier. I don't believe that there's a recommendation to screen, for example, women who work in childcare settings even though they're at significantly increased risk of contracting CMV or having a reactivation. But, um, for example, women on or who have solid organ transplants who are immune suppressed might fall into this category.
0: Yes, I think two points on that. So to remember recommendation five, when it says women who are at high risk of infection, for me, like a memory tool, is that this is your severely immunocompromised uh, patient who's usually on immunosuppressants, and so it'll often they be in the context of, yeah, a solid organ transplant. Um, so they should probably have uh, more infection screens done uh, pre-pregnancy or in early pregnancy, um, as these can both uh, be have. Well, I guess they're going to have a higher chance probably of transmission uh, to the fetus as well as be at higher risk of actually contracting a serious infection uh, themselves. Right, so recommendation six, uh, women with suspected CMV infection uh, should have CMV serology testing. And it's initially done with IgG and IgM. Uh, suspected CMV infection is anybody who has an acute infection or infective symptoms. This is um uh, fever, malaise, uh, myalgia, uh, and lymphadenopathy. Uh, were there any other things? It's So fairly nonspecific. specific mm, and does usually say, asymptomatic. Yeah, the majority are asymptomatic. Mm. So, I guess there's no, there's nothing to prompt you to test an asymptomatic woman um, outside of a torch screen, I suppose, for uh, ultrasound findings for the fetus. But what were you really trying to do is, is trying to work out could this person have had CMV? And those are the things that would prompt you to. The test.
1: And I think if someone um, comes to you and they've had known exposure to a CMV infected contact, that could be another indication. Mm, yeah. um, so a history suspicious of the illness, if there's abnormalities on routine scanning, um, exposure to CMV infected contacts, or as we discussed before, severely immune compromised women who will most likely be being followed up with regular tests through their pregnancy.
0: So a table is provided in the guideline um, about interpreting serology. So as I said, the first step is to do your IgG and IgM. Uh, If they're both negative, they are are susceptible. There's no evidence of recent infection. Um, Of course, you could um, always do that again uh, in two to three weeks if you do have suspicion of recent infection, as they may not have yet seroconverted. If the IgM is positive alone, that may imply a recent infection, but can also be a false positive. So it really just needs to be repeated in two weeks. And at the same time, you can do the IgG avidity, uh, which helps to determine recency of infection.
1: It still remains tricky, even in this situation, because IgM response can last up to um, 16 weeks. So particularly if you're screening an early pregnancy, it may well have been a pre-pregnancy infection. Mm -hmm. And even um, a low CMV IgG avidity, which would suggest a recent infection, um, that's still just within the last three months. So again, if you're doing this in early pregnancy, in the first trimester, this can be a pre-pregnancy infection, mm. which again makes it quite tricky to interpret.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah so the principles of avidity, uh, low basically, it's still learning. Uh, and through to high means it's quite good. <laughs> so that means it's, been, it's had a bit of time to, to learn how to... To be avid. Yeah, to be avid. <laughs> so cons- biggest, your biggest concern is going to be your low IgG ability, But as Caitlin said, that can still mean the infection occurred three months ago.
1: The um, other thing I would mention is that uh, the labs in New Zealand and Australia hold on to the booking bloods. So if they were done then you've got something to compare a more recent result to. So if you've had new conversion, um, then you know it's been within the pregnancy or at least since those booking bloods were done, which is hopefully pre-pregnancy, but never <laughs> is.
0: Yeah. Um, so here it says that the greatest risk of infection is in the first trimester with primary infection. Mm. However, basically timing of infection is often difficult to ascertain as the majority are asymptomatic. So it's probably quite tricky to know actually what the true infectious window is, as you're rarely going to have confidence of when the infection occurred. Ultimately, diagnosis and confirming the infection is going to require PCR of the amniotic fluid. So it's going to require an amniocentesis. This needs to be performed more than eight weeks after the suspected infection uh, for ideal results. And is usually performed at more than 21 weeks gestation. Uh, and the reason for that is that early, earlier amniotic fluid samples have a high falsely negative rate. So the last thing you want to do is go through that investigation uh, only to be falsely reassured.
1: Mm. So recommendation seven was diagnosis of primary CMV is based upon either the new appearance of CMV-specific IgG in a woman who was previously seronegative or the detection of CMV-IgM antibody with low avidity but as we've stated, even low avidity if you're only six to eight weeks pregnant doesn't necessarily mean a pregnancy-related infection. Recommendation eight, when congenital CMV infection is suspected on the basis of maternal serology or fetal ultrasound abnormalities, then a referral to a maternal fetal medicine specialist or specialist with expertise in perinatal infection is recommended.
0: Yes, I think the biggest take-home so far – Uh, about giving this information to all women so that they have the information to avoid infection in the first place, Um, and then uh, optimizing your ability to take a secondary approach of actually identifying women who are at risk, Um, and that's basically doing CMV serology for anybody who does have a a mild illness um, in the pregnancy, and ideally basing that on that set of symptoms uh, that's suggestive
1: and i think most part about cmv it's about being informed so right back at the beginning with ways to uh, reduce the risk of cmv infection and then um cmv transmission child to mother um and then being informed about what the results mean in pregnancy because a termination of pregnancy is not not recommended but giving women enough information to make that decision for themselves in their own, in the context of their own lives is useful.
0: So the final two recommendations, nine and 10 relate to neonatal investigation and management. So as we said, most of these babies will be born normally and they won't have any obvious, uh, you know, findings to suggest that they've been affected by, uh, CMV infection. Um, they should all be offered uh, testing, so at least inform the pediatric team about your suspicions. Uh, that testing uh, involves PCR of the saliva or urine, and that's performed within the first three weeks of life. Uh, hopefully all newborn babies will undergo hearing screening, uh, but it's important to note that even uh, in the context of a normal hearing screen, if CMV infection is confirmed, they need to go on undergo formal audiometry, and not only do that, but they actually need to have that testing later on in life as well.
1: Mm. Only fifty percent of babies with congenital CMV um, with their sensory neural hearing loss will have it detected in that first couple of weeks when we do the usual hearing screening. So it is important to carry on yeah. with that.
0: It says breastfeeding should be encouraged. There's no evidence to suggest that postnatal CMV transmission occurs uh, with through breastfeeding.
1: Healthy mum, healthy baby.
0: Yeah. The recommendation ten. If an infant is diagnosed, pediatrician and infectious diseases should be involved uh, and they can do the further assessment and management.
1: And the rest, there's quite a lot. Head ultrasounds, MRIs, get up thumb review.
0: Yeah. So I suppose of relevance to us could be counselling about future pregnancies. Um, Going back to the start, that would be that... Unfortunately, having had a baby affected by CMV probably doesn't increase the risk of having it in the future but doesn't reduce it significantly uh, either.
1: And it's also um, just another point to note, we're pretty good at this with chickenpox, but um, congenitally infected CMV babies are high shedders for the first year of their life, or first year or two of their life. So uh, avoiding pregnant women... um, is something that could be advised uh, or just get really vigilant with the hygiene around these particular babies. Mm. And that's whether they're symptomatic or asymptomatic as well. So whether or not there are long-term difficulties or sequelae, it's still important to know whether or not these babies uh, were congenitally CMV infected um, for themselves and for others.
0: I've noted on this table of serology, it doesn't include IgM negative, IgG positive, which would be consistent with past infection.
1: Mm. But
0: I think that that's probably fairly straightforward to interpret. It. That's, that's your most common result. I've had it before. No, oh, yeah, look,
1: I've added it to my own table and okay. I said reassure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, past infection. The numbers are the thing that gets me with this guideline. You know? risk of transmission in the first trimester, less than the less. If it's primary and if it's non-primary, then it's this risk. And of those, then this many are going to 10 to 15% asymptomatic, 90% other way around, symptomatic, asymptomatic. If they're symptomatic, it's 50% risk of long-term sequelae. If they're asymptomatic, then it's, I think it's a 10% risk of long-term sequelae. So that percent of that percent of that percent of that percent gives you the overall number of one in a thousand. Yeah. Basically. Sounds right which is yeah. so stupid. But essentially, if it's a primary infection in the first trimester, maybe that's when you'd have a termination.
0: Yeah. Except you're, well, yeah, so I guess if you actually have a positive result. It's yeah. just that you probably haven't done that because it's going to be.
1: Because you're not going to do that for 20 weeks. Yeah, yeah. 21 weeks. So, so it's right? Yeah. Or so so six let, weeks So past- under
0: 21 weeks has a high, kind of unacceptably high, false negative rate. But- yeah,
1: sensitivity 45%. So, you got Whoa, to know this. That's
0: terrible.
1: Yeah, but if it's more than 21 <laughs> weeks, it's 80 to 100% with a high specificity. Yeah. High specificity at less than 20 weeks, though.
0: Yeah, so if it's positive, it's positive. That's all I mean. Yeah. But if it's, but if it's negative, it's.
1: You're not reassured. <laughs> yeah. You're going to do it again at more than 21 <laughs> yeah. weeks or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, for, yeah, I don't know if you can justify I don't know. I think if you had
1: known CMV infection and signs on ultrasound on an early anatomy scan. So you did like yeah. an 18 week anatomy yeah, scan, yeah. it looked so abnormal. You've got like a... You do your amnio and you have an earlier termination. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know. And I think especially if you've got ultrasound findings that are abnormal, then that, you know, implies that something's like, next, thing, next thing you say,
1: yeah. yeah. But even even abnormal ultrasound positive amnio hmm. does not mean no, at obviously. all that no. you're gonna have a it's just a weird yeah. disease. But then
0: the question is, why Why have you got this abnormal ultrasound in the first place?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so it's it's effects of CMV, yeah. but doesn't mean they're going to be deaf, blind, oh, yeah, yeah. developmentally delayed. You know, they've just yeah, got yeah. a brain calcification that but might But then if
0: you didn't away. have the CMV, well, yeah, you're assuming the CMV is the cause of that
1: as well. Is that Definitely. that as well, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing with an amnia. you do you i do a karyotype, so, or a microarray. You get that information.
0: I've got that at some. Um, it's transmitted in secretions, including vaginal mm. semen, transfusion, and organ transplant. <laughs> mm, mm.
1: That's why when you're doing an IUT for a baby, it's got to be CMV negative. Like they oh, really yeah. screen blood and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a nasty funny. little virus It's, it's funny though,
0: because what that implies is mm. that they have blood they know is actively CMV positive, and, and they're just, just like it. chuck it in. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's all- but it is so, all no, good. I want the top shelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that, true. I want that irradiated CMB negative o That one stuff you're going to give to that baby, I want that. Yeah. That's what I want.
1: Mm. It's pure. Yeah. It's pure blood. Um, yeah, so I've got so primary infection has a 30% risk of transmission. The sequelae of primary infection that are symptomatic. Stillbirth, early mortality, microcephaly seizures, choreoretinitis, developmental delay, sensory neural hearing loss, which can be both unilateral or bilateral, um, anemia and thrombocytopenia. Part of diagnosing CMV is on ultrasound. So if you're just trucking along with a normal pregnancy, no um, signs or symptoms of a viral illness, but then there's an ultrasound scan um, that shows one of these findings. Microcephaly ascites or hydrops oligo or poly hydrocephalus intracranial calcifications or cerebral ventriculomegaly pseudomeconium ileus iugr choreoretinitis Effusions, hepatomegaly, or echogenic bowel, uh, then most likely that'll trigger an MFM referral. And one of um, the investigations that you'll do before the referral is a torch screen of which obviously CMV is one of the infections. Um, But these findings are only thirty to fifty percent sensitive at diagnosing symptomatic congenital CMV, so they're not—it's not amazing. But if you have these findings in conjunction with positive maternal serology, that would be a trigger to carry on and do your amnio.
0: Yeah, and uh, I guess the pro tip would be you do your torch screen, but then look out for the results because if it comes back uh, being IgM positive uh, and IgG positive, then throw on the uh, IgG avidity so Mm. that result's actually available when they get to their appointment.
1: Mm -hmm. And then in terms of um, a baby being symptomatic, so you've got your infection, of which only 10 to 15% Of primary infected babies are symptomatic at birth, then they're they're at a much higher risk of actually having um, longer-term adverse outcomes—a 50% risk, and those include stillbirth, early mortality, microcephaly, seizures, developmental delay, sensory neural hearing loss, chorioretinitis, and other organs can be affected. So thrombocytopenia, pneumonitis, petechiae, hepatomegaly, those kind of things, and then. Uh, 85 to 90% of babies are asymptomatic and there's a much lower risk of long-term sequelae, 10 to 15%, um, and of that, that's mainly sensorineural hearing loss. And that is why it's really important that if babies are known to be CMV positive, that that is recorded because they will get hearing screening at birth, but on um, ongoing in their first couple of years of life.
0: So to summarise, uh, CMV is the most common infection in pregnancy. It's also the most common infectious cause of congenital deafness, learning disability, and neurodevelopmental delay. So despite there not being a lot we can do about it, prevention really is very important, uh, and it should be routine care.
1: And knowledge is power. Thanks very much for listening. We'll uh, see you again next time.